what we do here is go back, 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 back. And welcome in to episode 90 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Statman. As always, I'm joined by my good friend Angelo Inglisa as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, as we do every 10 episodes, round number, we're doing something completely different. Extremely different. Putting the randomizer in the bin and, and not worrying about that. And we are, yes, we're going somewhere completely different, completely off the map from where we have done most of our shows. We are going over to Japan and watching some DDT wrestling, specifically DDT Peter Pan Night One from 2020. And this was at the request of our own Angelo and Glisa, who, like many wrestling fans in the United States, over the last couple of months has completely fallen in love with Kanosuke Takeshita, who came over from DDT to start wrestling in AEW and on the American Indies a few months ago, has been fucking awesome, like, the whole time. Incredible, man. Yeah. Dude has been just straight up serving out bangers. And Angelo has clearly fallen in love with this guy. And he told me, he commissioned me, David, I need some more, I need some more Kanosuke. Give me, get, let, let's, let's get some shit on here with uh, Kanosuke Takeshita on it. So I said, all right. Bet. How about a show where he made events in a cinematic match against a blow-up doll? Say less. Say fucking less, my guy. Uh, if this show is a, like, DDT very known for wacky shit, comedy wrestling, um, just completely insane shit happening all the time, this show... If you have never seen any DDT before, which, Angela, I assume you hadn't. Nope. Is a great introduction into what DDT is and the kind of shit you can expect. And like kind of a lot of a lot of their hallmarks are featured here in this show. And also has the uh, you you had called many times in the past for wanting to do a, a pandemic pay-per-view. We yeah. Pay per view here. It's a June 2020. <laughs> so they are in like wrestling in like an empty studio. Uh, and it's honestly insanely entertaining all the way around. It truly, like, I, I told you before we came on the pod that I will be seeking out more DDT in the future because this was fun. This was like, there were two matches that were kind of slow, and I did not understand a single thing commentators were saying or anything that was going on other than the wrestling that was going. But, like, it was just a lot of fun to watch. Like, they do a great job of nailing the funny parts of wrestling. And there is still some good work here. Like, there are some decent matches that put together stories. But, like, you could tell that their first and foremost thing, at least on this card, is comedy. And they do a great job of that. They even have some serious moments, too. Like, they – this is, like, a – pure distilled pro wrestling it's not the best shit you can watch it's not going to be always the most memorable stuff but like if you want to just watch what pro wrestling is kind of about in a different way ddt does a great job of like carving out their own niche and like making it feel a very unique style it kind of has that um mix of like indies and 90s wrestling almost in terms of like how it's presented and how it's recorded and like just how the matches go it's very it's a very unique watch, and it's a unique in a good way, not unique in a, well, they tried something and it didn't work. No, it works. Yeah, it is. It's also 
when, when you watch DDT and, and the, and this should be stressed, it's not all just wild comedy wrestling, which a lot of it is. And that's, that's one of its hallmarks again. I mean, they, they do comedy wrestling in a way that really nobody else does, but there's also tremendously talented wrestlers in DDT. I think Takeshita, who was one of their top guys okay. going over to the United States, Mwah. absolutely fucking butchering everything that he's like, just murdering the whole fucking scene. I mean, like he's been unbelievable. Killing the, the business. Killing the fucking business over here. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I, I heard on Rampage, like he was in the Royal Rampage like last night and was like, everyone was like, he was fucking amazing, you know? Oh, so he put him over hard. Yeah, he's, he's seen that, like he's shown that like, the, the quality of the wrestlers in DDT is very, very high. And this was night one of a two-night event. Peter Pan is, like, kind of their big event every year. It's sort of their WrestleMania. They had divided it into two nights. Night one, the one that we're watching for this show, has, like, kind of all the wacky shit on it. And then night two, the next night, had a lot of the really serious, more serious wrestling on it. Um main evented by a match between Masato Tanaka, fucking legend, still killing it, and uh, Tetsuya Endo in the main event that was, I remember it being, like, excellent. Like, the thing about EDT is, yes, you will get the wacky comedy wrestling and, like, you know, hardcore matches with a bunch of weird shit in it, but also, if you keep watching, you will see wrestling, straight-up wrestling matches that are, you know, as good as you will find any. It's the all talent is just very high. It's all the extremes of pro wrestling. Like it, you have some extremely good matches. You have extremely funny shit. You have extremely hardcore stuff. Like it's they do not they do, they rarely take the middle road. They will always full out commit to just utter insanity in one of the three directions. And like yeah. one of the things with uh, Takeshita and his like U.S. run here is like he uh, he still actively promotes DDT every time he gets an opportunity to. I think he's got some kind of contract with AEW. I saw they just released a shirt for him. Uh, but like his mission, like coming to America, is to get more eyes on DDT. And like the dudes, I, I th- there's no reason why his mission shouldn't be a success because he's incredible. And then if you go watch DDT stuff, like if you're ever just looking for something to do, it's like ah, I got some things to kill or like. It's fun shit. It really is, like, very entertaining. And I, I, there was nothing really on here that I'm like, well, that sucked. Like, it was just, like, oh, it was all interesting at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Takeshita, one of the best wrestlers in the world today. He's proven that, I think, over the last couple months. And, yeah, we get to see him in a cinematic match fight a blow-up doll. Uh, <laughs> Utterly <laughs> insane and great. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's it's just complete fever dream, but we love it. This is why we love this shit. Yeah, and this is why I think you will find that, like, DDT has, like, a fan base in America where it's not that big necessarily, but, like, the people who are into DDT are insanely into DDT. Uh, and I'm, I, am, I am a fan of it. I watch it regularly. So uh, I am... I'm fully on board with it. I've always been fully on board with it. Uh, but yeah, I originally, my this was actually my second choice uh, for what I wanted to watch. I originally wanted to watch um, an event from 2013, which had uh, main, it not it wasn't in the main event, but we had a very very young Takeshita wrestling Kenny Omega in what was like one of Takeshita's like first matches that really put him on the map. 
Um, could not find the full event, though. You could find specific matches from that show, but not the full event. I thought I had found it on some Russian website, but I got redirected to porn. <laughs> so I stopped trying. What was the name of it? Just so I know. Uh, the, the, the DDT show? Yeah, the DDT show. I think it was called DDT Progress and Harmony in Pro Wrestling. That's a hell of a name. It's a hell of a fucking name. Uh, but yeah, you can find the specific match between him and Kenny, and it is very good. Especially uh, amplified by the fact that Kosuke is like 18 in that match. Yeah, I, ju- I just want to check where DDT has most of their streaming stuff on Wrestle Universe. It's not even on there. Yeah. Because uh, it's a little bit further back. I mean, they, you know, I, Wrestle Universe, their streaming service, they did a share with Noah, and I think Tokyo Joshi Pro like is only like a few years old and a lot of times those there's like weird rights shit going on like like uh a lot of times in japan like the 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 rights to their like like promotions like past shit is like owned by the tv networks and not by the promotion mm. so like like for instance i know like all japan has a streaming service but like none of the good shit from all japan is on it because <laughs> they're owned by the tv network so they can't put like any of their like great shit from the 90s on there. Mighty so unfortunate. You know? But yeah, there's some weird shit going on there with it. But you can find specific matches, and there's all kinds of really good shit online from DDT and, you know, from all these guys' careers uh, all over the internet you can find. So, yeah. Uh, a lot of lot of shit to go through on uh, this show. So, I think, are you ready to remember some guys? Let us remember the guys, David. Yes. I, for for you, I mean, these, there's no remembering going on. You're basically seeing almost all these people for the first time. Let's introduce me to guys. Uh, yes, yeah, so let's introduce Angelo to some guys. So it is June 6th, 2020. We are at the uh, DDT, uh, DDT TV studio in uh, Shinjuku Face, which is a uh, wrestling uh, venue used by a lot of smaller promotions in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, it is an earlier pandemic show like we are kind of right back to Japanese promotions starting to run shows again in Japan after the start of the pandemic but obviously a lot of COVID restrictions going on one of them being of course no crowd it would be a while before we got crowds back in Japan and even today we have crowds at Japanese wrestling shows but we have still not gotten to the point where crowds are allowed to cheer yet which is wild like they have like a COVID restriction in Japan for crowds where they're not allowed to like vocally cheer because I guess, I don't know, they're afraid that spreads like fucking germs or something. I, and even now, like over two years after the start of the pandemic, you're still not allowed to like vocally cheer. I can, I can somewhat rationalize that though, because with like just thinking about how dense Japan is, especially like its cities, like we think of them like the coastlines like LA and New Jersey, New York City as like densely populated. Japan puts that on steroids, more or less. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I can understand why they might be still apprehensive, given the disease is still very much, you know, easily infectable. I can't speak. Yeah, I guess. But still, I, I, that, that always just seemed like a weird thing that they, like, kind of just, like, made up. Yeah. I don't know if that's actually true. I don't know if it actually does anything. But it's a thing they've been doing for a long time. So it, it has not gone away yet, unfortunately. We are not epidemiologists here at Two and a Half Marks. We absolutely are not. No uh, is, though. Jordan Flesher is. So we are at the DDT studio in Shinjuku Face, Tokyo, for day one of DDT Peter Pan 2020. And it is a pandemic era pay-per-view. So we have the uh, commentators. None of them are sitting at these. We have three commentators. 
none of which are sitting at the same desk. They're all like kind of spread around the studio. Um, no, they're not ringside. I think they're watching it on monitors and they're all like kind of split screen from each other whenever they're on camera. So they're not even sitting at the same uh, desk. And we start off with a singles match uh, between two guys, Nobuhiro Shimatani and Seigo Tachibana. The uh, stipulation of the match is both of these guys are kind of on the outside looking in. Winner gets a spot on the DDT roster. Uh, Shimatani, a young guy who had been wrestling in DDT but had been away from the promotion for a little bit. And uh, Tachibana, who comes out dressed like a character from like uh, like the Yakuza video games. Yes. Like, the, like the, the suit with like the huge collar. Um, I've seen him wrestle in that, but he doesn't actually wrestle in it. But I've seen him wrestle in the suit. Um, Seiko Tachibana was coming over from the promotion Wrestle 1, which had just actually closed its doors a few months before. I think like right before the pandemic, they closed and all the wrestlers had to find different places to go. He's coming over to DDTH trying to officially get a spot on the DDT roster. So it is Tachibana from Wrestle 1 and Shimatani. Uh, winner is employed. Um, I just I saw Tachibana come out with the suit. And I was thinking of like, do you remember the uh, uh, That's a Normal Collar, Find a New Slant? Yes. <laughs> Good old, uh, what's his name? It's not Colangelo, Brian, is it? Brian Colangelo. It is Colangelo, right? right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a normal collar, find a new slant. The ringer expose, man. That was yeah, a that time was to be alive. Shit of all time. Uh, yeah, but I, like I said, I have seen Tachibana wrestle in the suit, but he actually takes the suit off and uh, wrestles in normal trunks. Um, these guys, it's a it's a quick match, but it's, it's a fun little match. Um, they, you know, run at each other and start really hot. Um, Tachibana beats him up for a lot of the match. He does a few arm drags, does the 10 punches in the corner. Hits an atomic drop and a running big boot for a near fall. Uh, he does this cool kind of arm trap Olympic slam type move for a two count. Action really picks up after that. Shimatani, who is like listed at like five foot two, he's a small guy. He uh, fights back really hard. He comes back with a big drop kick and a fisherman buster. And then Shimatani hits a crucifix bomb and he gets the pin and he wins the match. In uh, five minutes and 40 seconds, cuts a victorious promo afterward. I, I don't speak Japanese at all. So anything I know of, like, what people are saying or what the angles are uh, came from, like, people on the internet had written stuff up, like, saying what, what's going on. Um, so I do have some context. Afterwards, uh, DDT's general manager, a guy named Imabayashi, comes out to tell Tachibana, all right, dude, you lost – you need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and then interceding in this is a guy named named Danshoku Dino, who is a longtime DDT guy. I would describe Danshoku Dino's gimmick as sexually aggressive gay stereotype. Mm. <laughs> He's always been very over with DDT. Um, he comes out and kind of picks Tachibana up like stares Imabayashi, the general manager, down angrily and helps Tachibana uh, to the back. So some some potential alliance going on here. Now that you describe it, just based off Tachibana's present presentation and uh, who that was that came out, there does seem to be some synergy there in terms of just being like, you know, high fashion, crazy people. 
Uh, you know, so that makes more sense now. That's actually kind of a really good color. Uh, I love Tachibana's theme, though. Like, he came out, he had a great presentation. Like, he is someone that, you know, would work, I think, in DDT. Obviously, I have no experience with DDT, but he seems like that exact type of guy who would fit right in. Uh, I, I kind of wish I knew or Rhett could read Japanese because, like, like, every match they would show, like, this little tagline of, the, like, who they were. And I could identify them by the Twitter handle because, thank God, the Twitter handles uh, use English characters. But then they had that little stat bar on the right. I'm just like, yeah. I, I had no idea what those stat bars meant. Yeah. But as a numbers guy, I was instantly like, what do they mean? What The numbers, Mason, what do they mean? I need yeah. to know. They, that, that is, for some context, yeah, they, they have, like, an overlay on the, like, like, at the start of the match, they put, like, these, like, overlay graphics on the screen that have, like, the wrestlers, like, it's like, all right, here's the wrestler's face, here's their name, like, height, weight, like, some, like, little background on them. And then, like, in over on the side, there's, like, there's, like, yeah, there's, like, a stat bar. Where, like, I don't even know what the stats like are. Like, it's a video game. But it's, like, it's, like, strength, dex, charisma, or something <laughs> like that. It's, like, I... Again, I don't speak Japanese. I can't read Japanese. I have no idea what the fuck it's saying. But, like, I do want to know. You know what I mean? I want to know what the fuck they're talking about. Even in general, though, I love that idea as, like, a way of presenting your guys. Like, you can kind of be like, obviously, I don't think they will ever go below a five. I think five is the lowest number they have for any one of those. But it's, like, a good way of showing, like, hey, where's this guy in the rankings? How he's booked right now? Like, it's similar to what AEW does with their, uh, like, uh, world title rankings or men's rankings, women's rankings, tag team uh, rankings. I think it's a good way because you kind of, like – Okay, now I understand what level this match is. And just because they're at like a five or a six doesn't mean you shouldn't be paying attention. It actually means you probably should be paying attention more because these matches mean more to them. Like if you're a big guy like uh, Jun Nakayama who had tens across the board, you know, you, you could take a few L's. But if you're at a five or a six, man, you really got – those matches mean a lot more. Um, there's something very cartoony with the way these two uh, communicated in the ring. Like they're both a lot of like screaming, yelling and talking and taunting, which yeah. you don't see throughout the rest of the card necessarily. But this was a very like this is the match that they did the most of it in. But it was a solid match. I could tell who I should have been rooting for, which was Sh- uh, Shimatani. And like it had good pace and solid action. Like it's not anything to really write home about, but like it was an effective wrestling match. Yeah, perfectly solid wrestling match quick opener that has a, a good amount of action in it and yeah um that that is that is a big takeaway of ddt uh, production is is like just kind of the almost kind of cartoony overlays and sort of like it just kind of reminds me of a game show a little bit yes uh, i actually um, want i wanted to say that before uh, like i just completely forgot about it. there is very much if you're watching ddt it's like those Eastern Asian game shows. It's exactly like that same flavor where it's just absolutely batshit insane crazy stuff that's going on that you might get uncomfortable with, but like it it's over. Like the crowd goes nuts for it every time. Yeah, it's and it's it's honestly a lot of fun to watch. And yeah, like I, I kinda want it to be like treated or almost like a like a like a DD or like a like a kind of like a role pl- like an RPG type deal. Or it's yeah. like you know Sego Tachibana is like plus is he's got like a six charisma, but while he's wearing the suit, it's like a plus two modifier. Yeah, like I think that that they should employ these kinds of rules. Mm. Uh, but yeah, this is this is a fun match, and yeah, Sego Tachibana has always been like one like as like a low card guy, like a, a a guy that I enjoy because the man's serving fucking looks, man. He's just he's looking great. He's pretty funny, but it can also work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And this, this is an entertaining match because, yeah, it's like 
and this this kind of this like undercurrent of like kind of over the top like like these guys are kind of like being a little bit over the top the whole time which is sort of like for a for a like five minute opener it kind of gives you something to hold on to and remember a little bit it, it's a good entrance to if you've never watched ddt like it assumed to be it's a very good introduction to what ddt is about yeah next up we have a uh, mixed tag match uh, featuring some people from some different promotions. We have uh, on the first team, Hiroshi Yamato, who wrestles for DDT. He's got sort of like this weird, like kind of delusional pop star gimmick, uh, singing his way to the ring, accompanied by uh, the female side of his tag team, a uh, woman named Saori Ano, who is a fixture in the Japanese promotion Ice Ribbon, which is actually Emi Sakura's promotion, if people know her from uh, AEW. Um, they are taking on the team from the promotion Gambare Pro, which I think is affiliated with DDT. It's a smaller promotion. Keisuke Ishii and a woman named Harukaze, who is in a uh, wearing a mask. Um, Keisuke Ishii is a guy who's been around for a very, very long time, uh, despite kind of looking like a frog, to be honest with you. Mm. A little bit. Got kind of a weak jawline. Good wrestler, though. Um this is pure, so this is like pure mixed tag rules. This isn't like the WWE style where it's like a man and a woman can't fight each other. They can and they do quite often throughout this match. Um, Sariano is probably like the standout person in this match for me. She does excellent, um, beats the shit out of uh, Harukaze for a while, uh, puts her in a Boston Crab. Um, Harukaze gets a comeback against uh, Hiroshi Yamato. She gets him in a rope hung armbar, hits a head scissors, tags in Ishii, who uh, hits a bunch of moves. He hits a leg sweep into a jumping knee drop. He hangs Yamato over the top rope, kicks him a bunch of times, then hangs Ano next to him, kicks her a bunch of times. Yamato comes back with a spear, tags in Sayori Ano, who hits a missile drop kick and a Hurricane Rana. Ishii comes back, hits her with like an Uranagi lift into a rising knee strike. I thought that was really cool. Um, Ano gets a comeback on Harukaze, hits a big boot, comes back with a rolling uh, bull, running bulldog. Um, they end up getting Ano two-on-one, hit a double big boot. Ishii tries to body slam Harukaze onto her, but then misses and just slams her on the ground. Yamato gets Ishii out of the ring, so it's the, just the two women fighting, Ano and uh, Harukaze. Um... Harakaze gets her in a sleeper and then like rolls into an arm bar, which I thought was a really cool transition. Uh, Yamato gets and breaks up the hold. Ishii hits a brain buster on Yamato, and then Yamato comes back and hits him with a leg lariat. They're back out of the ring, back to just the women again at the end of this match. Harakaze continues to try and work over the arm, goes after the arm bar again. But then Ano rolls out of it and hits a bridging German suplex for the pin and wins the match. Hiroshi Yamato and Sayori Ano win in eight minutes and 57 seconds. A lot of action in this match. Yeah, I thought this was another, like, well-structured match. Uh, again, the fact that there is that language barrier makes it hard to understand exactly the kind of, like, overlays of what's going on. But there is nothing better than someone who sings their own theme song. That is something that gets yes. over every time. K kudos to Ishii for, uh, Yamato for committing to the bit. Um, I actually really liked Yamato and uh, Anu's looks. Like, Anu's character work, too, was just very on point. Very kind of, like... 
slacker orange cassie like she's like uninterested in being there because it's like below her i kind of enjoyed that character work there and then in the ring too she was really good i thought that she had some good transitions um the fact that they go in her gender it's always that weird taboo thing with wrestling is like is it couth is it not couth i don't know i think there's a way to make it seem interesting and they do do a great job here at presenting them as just professional wrestlers it's not just like oh it's a man beating on a woman it's like no these are two professional wrestlers are in the ring that's what the contract's for. This, they're going to fight. And they get, yeah. let the women get some offense in to make them feel like, hey, they're on the same level. Like, they have yeah. to do different things, but they're the same level. Um, Harukaze had a very nice, like, sleeper into an armbar transition that I've not seen before. Uh, very fun. They set up the hot tag really well, too. But, like, there are six people on this entire card where I'm like, I could see them being bigger stars. Like, obviously, DDT is its own thing. But, like, people that could be over anywhere – uh, and Anu was one of them. I thought that she was just very much the star of this match. Yeah, I, I think that she was 100% like the kind of the MVP of the match. She looked really good. Um, and yeah, I mean, like they are basically just presented straight up. You know, they are they're pro wrestlers. They are competing against one another. And at no point do you feel like the women are not on the same level as the men, which is a good thing, you know, and it, it makes the match a lot more interesting. Um it's an intergender tag match, but it's not like a, not a big deal is made out of it. They're just four wrestlers competing with one another. And she does an excellent job in this match. Um, she's someone that I feel like isn't like, doesn't get a whole lot of a claim. Like, I feel like a lot of people don't really, you know, see, she doesn't like really wrestle for like the kind of the bigger, like women's promotions in Japan. Like stardom is like the one that gets like a lot of like, a lot of, has like a lot of attention on it. But Japanese women's wrestling, I would say, has always really been a step and a half ahead of its counterpart in America. And when you really dig into the the Joshi wrestling in Japan, there's a lot of amazing stuff. The first thing I think of is like Impact has kind of done a really good job at sprinkling it in there to the point where like it's not. Obviously, I think American audiences are still kind of like very iffy on the entire thing. I think if you're a true wrestling fan, though, you're not really. Uh, thinking too much about it, you're like, hey, they're just like, they're good workers. Like Jordan Grace, like Jordan Grace could kick the crap out of probably, what, 85% of the male population, if not more? Yeah. Because she's, she is yeah. jacked. Fucking uh, jacked. But and, like, she, she's been in a few X Division title matches. I think she's the current women's champion there in Impact. But like, she is someone that could absolutely go throw hands with a dude and it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And you don't even have to think about it. Yeah. Uh, and I think Impact, that's the kind of like, Impact is kind of filling that same kind of role that DDT does in America. Uh, maybe much more on a lesser scale. I think that Impact, well, they do have a lot of good matches. It's just not as much acclaim as I think DDT does in Japan. But maybe it is. I don't know. I think that those two kind of, if you're an Impact fan, I think you'd like DDT. I think that's a pretty easy comp, uh, comp to make. Yeah, you know, and I, I think that one thing that Impact has always done well, especially like recently, is like when they do comedy, they do it very well. Like, I feel like a lot of times, like, when pro wrestling promotions try to be funny, they always fucking suck at it. Like, every single time WWE has ever tried to be funny has been terrible up until the Ezekiel storyline, which is the first time they ever tried to be funny and succeeded. It's great. I love uh, it. I cannot wait for Elrod to make his debut. But, uh, you know what I mean? Like, Impact has always succeeded in being funny when they try to be funny. Which is sort of how I like kind of draw a parallel in between the two of them, uh, but yeah, uh, and, and yeah, they were the one. They were the ones that put the uh, like actual world title on Tessa Blanchard. 
know, that, you know, didn't work out for unrelated reasons, but, you know, she was the most, probably the most talented wrestler in the company, man or woman, so they just put the belt on. It made sense at the time, and then she turned out to be racist, so mm. that sucks. Hate to see but, it. Hey, sometimes it do be like that, though. Uh, but yeah, this is a very good match. Very highly recommend. Uh, so Ariana's work in this match. She, she really does a good job. Um, next match, we have a tag team match coming up next. It is two of the young guys in the DDT promotion. Uh, Hideki Okatani and Keigo Nakamura. Both these guys are like 20, 21 years old, just kind of starting out in their uh, careers. Taking on a tag team from the... Uh, Heel Damnation Stable, uh, Soma Takao and Mad Polly. Mad Polly is just this big fucking dude, like 300 pounds uh, with face paint all over him. Uh, I've always enjoyed Keigo Nakamura, a very young guy. I like him, though, because he – so he is, like, 20 years old, completely fucking bald. Sha- like, I don't know if he's, like, naturally bald or he just decided to shave his head, but the man does not have a fucking – strand of hair on his fucking head and he's got such a he's like he's got such a young looking face <laughs> that he kind of looks like ang from avatar the last airbender holy crap you're right like he just like he's got kind of an he's got kind of an alien looking head because he's just got such a youthful face and he's so fucking bald uh but he's a pretty promising young wrestler so is okatani and uh we have this match so you know how it is in japan a lot of times they're just like tag team matches just to fill out the card and they're just sort of there and you know guys are there to get their shit in this is a fun match um young okatani at certain points i feel like he has like a slight resemblance to a young shinjiro otani which two and a half marks uh official uh statement on that is uh, all of our best wishes to shinjiro otani a legend of japanese wrestling who suffered a very serious injury a few months ago and uh hopefully isn't like paralyzed forever because he is a fucking legend and we uh we wish him the best uh, but okatani does kind of look like him a little bit which is fucking me up um they get the heat on him for a while eventually they he's able to tag in nakamura hands out a couple drop kicks it's a, a springboard drop kick on mad Polly. Um, hits him with a few kicks, but then Polly catches one, turns it into an exploder suplex. They get some more heat on Nakamura for a while. Uh, Takao hits a middle rope diving stomp for a near fall. Then Nakamura comes back, uh, hits a pop-up drop kick, tags in Okatani. He gets a hot tag. Um, hits a running forearm into a corner, turns around to a bulldog, big vertical suplex on Takao for a near fall. Double drop kicks on Takao. They do a double suplex on the 300-pound Mad Pauly. That's a spot that absolutely, if there was a crowd there, they would have gotten a big pop for. Uh, Okatani hits a bridging Northern Lights for a near fall. Fires up big, but then eats a drop kick and a super kick from Soma Takao. Nakamura breaks up the pin. Pauly tosses him out of the ring. And at the final stretch of the match, we have Okatani and Takao going back and forth. Takao drops him and then hits a diving double stomp off the top rope. And gets the pin and wins the match. 10 minutes and 22 seconds. The young, fiery uh, kids getting a lot in this match, but ultimately getting shut down at the end by the uh, veteran heels. Very fun match. I'll be honest here. This is the one match I really didn't like. 
Uh, I like why I liked it. I thought I, it was like, the work was good. I thought yeah, it was. Like, you see, like the fact the fact that you said that uh, Nakamura and o- o- Okatani were green makes this match make a yes. lot more sense These after guys the fact. Are like, they are like twenty years old here. because like, th- there was a lot of offense that they had that looked. Just, uh, just really bad. Like Okatani's elbows did not look good. There's a lot of strikes that didn't look great. It just was like the pacing was kind of weird. I, I don't know. There just again, there were a lot of awful elbows thrown, and also like the fact that Nakamura and Okatani. I didn't know this beforehand. Like they, they do, they come out looking like jobbers, but it makes sense. If they're brand new, yeah. you're gonna look like a jobber. You, like nine times out of ten, unless you're that one that's gonna be a superstar someday. Like uh, present, present like Braun Breaker. Uh, you got to look like a jobber with your starting yeah. gear. So, like, yeah, that makes a lot more sense after the fact. It's good to get them those reps uh, in your promotion to, like, kind of, you know, you're building them up. But the match itself wasn't anything really to write home about. I will say this, for though, for Okatani, not to bury them. Great Northern Lights suplex. Yes. And obviously, if they're starting off at, like, you know, 20, 21 years old, they will go up. They will get better. It's not like the match was awful. It's just not my kind of... It was very much as someone that didn't know what was going on and like who these people were. It, it left a lot to be desired. I will say this though: I will never uh, forget Mad Polly. That is going to be the face of my paralysis demon uh, for the next five years at least. Yeah, just for a little additional context on that, Nakamura was a little more experienced. He had he had debuted about a year before, so he'd only been wrestling for about a year on actual shows. This was Hideki Okatani's eighth match his career so these guys are yeah green as fuck but i think you know and there are the couple veterans i think they succeed in having a ma- they had a match that i enjoyed is it all great no it's not it's not going to be because it's two guys who are just off of being like trainees uh in there mm-hmm. but i think they succeed in bringing a lot of energy and i think it's i i was entertained i, I- think the the young baby faces bring a lot of energy, which is what they need to do. Yes. Right. I will say that. And you've also had, I think, a lot more experience watching these types of matches going to a wrestling school. Like that's something that you see. You see the experience hand with the, you know, Greenhorn. And you're going to see a lot of matches like this. And that's kind of like you're not looking necessarily for the perfect match for everything to look great. You want to make sure that they're the story that they're telling makes sense. And I think they do do a good job of telling the story. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, it's that's it, kind of like a lot of what these matches are. It's like, okay, well, you're the young guy. You're going to sell a lot. But, you okay, you have a few things that you're pretty good at at this point. Oh, you have a, a, a good drop kick. You got a good bridging Northern Lights suplex. All right, uh, we'll work that shit in, and you can get that in, and it'll look good. But you're probably, you're going to do some selling, and you're going to get beat. You know, that's kind of how it is at that stage in your career, especially in Japan, where it's like you start out on these shows – you know, if you're in a in a big promotion like this, you start out, you go through the dojo, and then you like lose every match that you're in for like <laughs> two years. You know, and that's just kind of how these are. And you come back with a gimmick. Yes, and then you come back. That's that's how they do it in New Japan and with a lot of these other ones. Like, yeah, okay, you lose for like two years, and then eventually, when we decide that you're ready, you can like get a gimmick and like start winning matches. <laughs> I still can't believe they didn't have Master Vato on the uh, Forbidden Door card. Absolutely, like zero out of ten pay per view. Yeah, well, the way the way to the Grandmaster is long and dark and it's full of terrors, but one day we will all make it. Okay, so this next match is like <laughs> very heavily dependent on. I would have had no idea what the fuck is happening. 
unless thank God for the people who like actually speak Japanese who like wrote this up and like explained what the fuck is going on. So I'm going to say a lot of shit and it's not going to make sense, but Hey, here we are. DDT so, baby. There was a wrestler in DDT, uh, wrestler under the name muscle Sakai, also known as uh, super Sasadango machine. <laughs> One of the greatest fucking wrestling of all time. Super Sasadango Machine. He wrestled in DDT. He was like a comedy, like low card guy for many years. He had just announced basically his retirement from wrestling. He was going to uh, leave and go run his. And, and this is real life. This is actually what, what's going on here. He's announcing his retirement to basically go back home to Nagata, Japan, and like take over the family business. Which, like, I guess they had, like, his family had a business that manufactured farming equipment. And so he's leaving wrestling to go take over the family business. And DDT has a, what appears to be kind of like a giant cat mascot called Pokotan. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So as sort of like a send-off for Super Sasadango Machine, we're going to send the mascot Pokotan to his family business in Niigata. To like wrestle Super Sasadango Machine in like his farewell match. All right, does this make sense? Are you following me here at all? No, I am now. Fuck you. So we have this whole fucking like like vignette where so Pokotan, who again is a guy in like this big like cat costume, he shows up at the at Super Sasadango Machine's like office. And it has, like, a factory there where they, like, are manufacturing farming equipment. And um, he shows up and he gets introduced to uh, one of Super Sasadango Machine's, like, employees at the uh, the place. Who's a woman named uh, Yukako Mito. And he meets her and instantly falls in love with her. And so she, like, takes him on a tour of the business. And then eventually, like, puts him to work as, like, free labor for a few hours, like, <laughs> making the fucking farming equipment. So this, while this is going on, he, like, is, is sitting there at this table, like, making shit for, like, a few hours. And then eventually he looks up and everybody's gone. And he's like, wait, where the fuck is everybody? Again, this is a guy in a giant cat costume. This is a wrestling pay-per-view and this is going on. <laughs> guy in a giant cat costume is making, <laughs> watching a wrestling show. And all of a sudden now I'm watching a guy in a cat costume making farming equipment at a table. And eventually he stands up and he's like, wait, where the fuck is everybody? So he starts wandering around and he sees a closed door with a piece of paper on it that says NJPW on. And he's like, wait, what the fuck is this? So he opens it up and he walks in and he sees Super Sasadango Machine. And the woman who was just giving him the tour, Yukako. Uh, and he is teaching her how to wrestle by having her, like, punch and kick boxes in, like, a break room. <laughs> so he walks in, and it's, like, revealed that Super Sasadango Machine isn't actually getting out of wrestling. He's starting a new wrestling promotion out of his fucking, like, farm equipment factory. <laughs> Pokotan cannot believe this. He has been deceived. So Super Sasadango decides to book the match. It's Pokotan, the cat ma- mascot, versus this woman who works for him in like this office break room. 
Um, he again, he is in this huge mascot costume. She is wearing like a button down shirt and like a backwards baseball cap. And this woman just like the, doesn't know how to wrestle. Like Pokotan like gets her in a wrist lock and she's freaking out. She doesn't know what to do. And so like Super Sasanga Machine is like on the side, like coaching her how to wrestle while she's trying to wrestle this giant cat, right? Um, and it's just completely ridiculous comedy. Uh, it's, it's not an actual wrestling match. It's just like a comedic skit. Um, Pokotan is beating her up, but is like very distressed about it because he has completely fallen in love with her at first sight. Um, but then eventually she reverses a whip. She throws Pokotan into a bunch of boxes. She does like a few cartwheels into a very shitty looking back elbow for a near fall. And then she does a diving crossbody off of a desk and gets the pin and she wins the match in four minutes and 18 seconds. And so that is whatever the fuck this was. So was that that like, is that their way of taking shots at New Japan Pro Wrestling or is that just I like. Think it was, I think it was just like a joke. Okay. You no, know? <laughs> just That's like, fair. You know, where he sees like NJPW, what is this pro wrestling? And then it's like, oh, like, I, I, I've again, apparently, I've, apparently uh, and I guess we couldn't hear, we couldn't tell, but the NJPW stands for Nigata Joshi Pro Wrestling. Okay, there we so, go. That was the that was like the pun. N- tongue in cheek, I like that. Uh yes. The new promotion that Super Sasadango Machine is starting in his uh in his farm equipment factory. I f- again, this would be super funny, I feel like if I spoke Japanese. I like the description here, like I was here for it. I'm here for like this stupid like little dumb angles like maximum male models is already over 10 out of 10 in my book. Uh with me from just one appearance on SmackDown and Max Dupree. Uh, but I just love the idea from this match, and this is the big takeaway. The idea of just day-to-day workers spontaneously having a wrestling match. I would watch the shit out of that. If that was the entire promotion, if you ran, like, a nice little half-hour wrestling show where it's just, like, a w- literal work company, like li- like this uh, farm equipment place, and just day-to-day workers having a wrestling match, I would watch that shit. Like, imagine The Office, but a wrestling show. Yeah. <laughs> You got you got an idea here. You you got Dwight versus Jim for the world title. Like, come on for the for the uh, Scranton championship. Like that, I, I would watch the shit out of this show. By the way, I have to uh, correct myself. I have just learned that Pokotan is actually a seal and not a cat. Huh? He's actually. <laughs> A giant seal mascot. Hashtag stop the seal. Yes. Um, which I think makes a lot more sense because he's kind of got these like uh, sort of like little teeth going on. And I couldn't really tell what they I guess they're supposed to be like like seal teeth or like seals don't have tusks, I guess. Yeah, walruses right. have the tusk. Your seal. Apparently Pokotan's supposed to be a seal, which I guess like to me with the way it looks, makes more sense. But yeah, this is just like, you know, this this is like, you know, the barrier of entry is is very hard here because we do not speak Japanese. And it's like, yes, I'm sure a lot of the comedy is lost on us here. Uh, but then, I mean, you know, that's, that's sort of what you get here. Um, you watch DDT, you will get shit where it's like, okay, like a SEAL mascot's going to wrestle some random woman in a break room. That's what that that is shit that happens there, uh, and Pokotan they they do Pokotan matches like quite a bit and they're always insane. 
uh, like, because part of the like thing about DDT, and we will get into it later with the main event, is like they will have this shit that makes no sense, but also treat it completely seriously. Like, they will treat Poco Tom like he's an actual like, not like a person in a fucking mascot. Like it's an actual like seal. <laughs> yeah, like they did a match a while back between Poco Tom and this guy Chris Brooks, where like. Chris Brooks, I think, did, like, an elbow drop, and Pokotan's, like, head came off. Like, this the mask I <laughs> And they treated it like it, an actual murder had been committed. Like, people were, like, at ringside, like, screaming in terror. That That's <laughs> incredible. They, I mean, they will just do shit like this, and they'll be like, yeah, this is what is, like, in the world of DDT, they're treating this like an actual event that has happened. And that is part of the reason why it, like, works. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, this exists in a completely different pocket universe than the rest of mankind. Yeah, so. it's not it's not like you just remove someone's eye and then a few weeks later they have the eye back for no reason. Yeah. Without without any storytelling as to why. Yeah. Here the guy gets his eye ripped out and he just puts it back in. Which makes sense. He just puts it in, he's cured. And this that's just how it is. That's how they're just treating it. Perfect sense. So yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get to more of that later on, but yeah, Pokotan is humiliated and defeated. Next up, we have some actual pro wrestling, kind of. Uh, not kind of, we actually have real pro wrestling next up. We have a tag match between uh, uh, Yuki Ino and Akito, two guys from a babyface stable called All Out, taking on a real bonafide legend in Japanese pro wrestling, Jun Akiyama, uh, from... Best known from his runs in All Japan Pro Wrestling and Pro Wrestling Noah, one of the best wrestlers um, of the last 20, 25 years. Teaming up with a guy named Mizuki Okase. Some very good talent in this match. Um, promises to be a solid one. Akiyama is a legendary worker. By this point, he's about 50 years old, but he can still uh, do a lot of cool stuff. Um, Yuki Ino, I'm a fan of. Akito, a very good worker. Okase, also a good worker. So, um, Yuki Ino who is a big, beefy man. Uh, I think, you know, Angelo, you'd compare him to a uh, sort of a DDT type of, like, Big E type guy a little bit. I feel like he sort of got, like, similar type of beef, but also similar type of comedic charisma to Big E. Yes. Um, Sort of like you could tell that they have kind of similar comedic sensibilities. And also, um, like, he – if you were to tell me that Eno just got serious for a minute in a match, that he would tear you limb from limb. Yes. Big fan of his. He is a – just a, a wide lad. Like, very big, but not, like, big in, like, a fat way. Like, big in, like, this guy looks like he could bench press 500 pounds type. Of and he can move, too. Like, that guy yeah. – that he was flying. Yes. Uh, again, big fan of his. He is – Really odd, like very obviously excited to be in the ring with Junakiyama, which makes sense because I feel like if you are uh, someone who tries to wrestle a power style, you are excited to be in the ring with Junakiyama. I steal Junakiyama shit. <laughs> I'm sure Yuki Ino does as well, right? Um, he's excited to be in there with Akiyama and he really wants to just outbeef this fucking guy. He's a legend, right? And so <laughs> Yuki Ino. But he's, like, a little too excited. Um, he knocks him down with a shoulder tackle, 
and then does like the full haka over like so he does the haka <laughs> like, legit like haka that like the new zealand fucking rugby team does like it's the exact same one i've watched enough haka videos to to know which one it is um and he does the full one over akiyama while he's lying there which is because he's so hyped up and then akiyama just like stands up and just watches him do this and then like kicks him in the leg and like beats him up for a little bit um re, uh Ends up tagging in Watase, but Eno is able to reassert control on him. Uh, they get heat on him for a little while. Um, we get some some good stuff from Akito, who is uh, a very, very good worker that not a lot of people know about. Uh, they do a spot where Watase hits him with a body slam, but Akito rolls through in a really cool way and catches him in a, a single leg crab. Eventually, Watase is able to tag in Akiyama. Uh, he hits a bunch of jumping and running knees uh, on Akito. Um Ends up pulling a guillotine on him, but Eno's able to run in and break in the break up the hold. Um, Eno gets in there, fires up really big on Akiyama. He slams him and then does the Haka gimmick again, and then <laughs> Akiyama stands up and clothesline him. So he's 0 for 2 on doing... He needs to stop doing the fucking Haka, because every time he does it, he gets his ass kicked. Um, Akito, they do this cool spot where Akito catches Akiyama in an ankle lock, and then Eno does a running leg drop on him for a near fall. Um, we get this great finishing stretch that is just Yuki Ino and Mizuki Watase. Akito and Akiyama kind of take each other out on the outside. And it's this great finishing stretch that's just Ino and Watase. Um, we have this big striking exchange. Watase hits a big German. Ino comes back with a clothesline and a Samoan drop, then runs at him. Watase stops him with a big forearm that drops him for a near fall. He drops into a guillotine. Eno stands up out of it and reverses it into a brain buster. But after they come down, Watase keeps the hold on until Akito is able to break it up. Um, Eno then turns him inside out with a clothesline, but Akiyama breaks up the pin. Eno, then speaking of Big E, hits the big ending. Same move. I don't know if he has a different name for it, but he hits Big E's finishing move, the big ending, for a near fall. He kicks out. Runs at him for a spear. Watase jumps over him and catches him as he runs underneath him with a double stop. But then Eno reverses out of it, hits the ropes, and catches him with a big spear. And gets the pin and wins the match. 13 minutes and 19 seconds. Afterwards, uh, Eno stares Junakiyama down until Akito is able to, to pull him away and go to the back. I liked this match a lot. Oh, man, this was a great match. This is such a, like, everything that you want to do in a wrestling match, regardless of whether you're trying to be funny or serious, they did in this match, and they told a great story throughout it as well. I was here for every Eno and Akiyama face-off. It was, yeah. it was just like, it felt like a big moment. A lot of that has to do with the way that how Jun Akiyama was presented. Like, he's got this kind of flair aura about him. I mean, it, the robe is a very easy, uh, you know, parallel. The fact that he's an older guy, another easy parallel. But, like, he's also good in the ring. Like, the guy is fantastic. Like, he knows how to work, sell, pick his spots. Like, it, you put together a match with Jun Akiyama from the, just this one match I watched. Like, it's going to be an effective storytelling match. Like, yeah. maybe it's always going to be a five-star match, but it's going to, like, it's not going to suck. It's going to yeah. be good. I mean, and, it, and, and Jun Akiyama has had plenty of five-star matches in his career, For for to be clear. I did not know. Again, I don't know anything about these yeah. guys. And then Yuki. Well, Jun, Akiyama, Jun Akiyama wrestled in all Japan, like, at the same time as, like, guys like Kobashi and Masawa okay. 
and like those kinds of guys. Like, and the, it's like, like the four pillars of all Japan. Yeah, he was like, like, like you know, the the four pillars of you know they called the four pillars of heaven. He was like kind of four plus one. You know what I mean? He was like, the fifth guy. He was the fifth guy. But you know, whenever you put him in there with someone like that, he was always you know you had just great matches. I mean, the guy was you know one of the one of the greats of the nineties. And he also had like again going back to this presentation style of DDT when they put up Akiyama's thing, he had ten across the board. Like, yeah, I was like, okay, cool. They're presenting him in a way that makes sense to the like with how they book him. That and I always appreciate that. And then Yuki, uh, you know, man, like he is the second of six guys who are on this show that I was just like, yes, give me more of him. I need yeah. more of this in my life. Fantastic worker, uh, super crazy energy. Big boy, very fast. Like he, the spear he hits on Watase at the end, just nearly broke him in half. And then also like the the spot where he the spear gets countered with a stop. I've not seen that before. It's really good. And I saw actually on I think it was on SmackDown where they finally had a guy jump over the spear that really isn't done often. Usually, if you're countering a spear, you're hitting a move as they're diving into you. You don't usually see that kind of avoidance. With jumping over the guy trying to hit the spear, I enjoyed that. Eno ripping. I, I remember. Remember, was it Brock and Goldberg? They did that at the uh, their one their first like really good match. Yes, they did the spot where I think it was did Lesnar leapfrog the spear. I think I'd imagine. I don't think Goldberg yeah. can get off the ground. That was fucking sweet. Uh, uh, that's that's always like I always think like doing the leapfrog over the spear is cool. And then you mentioned like uh, Eno taking like the big ending. He also kind of ripped off the people's elbow there too. Yeah, uh, as, as he's in the hockey. Like, Eno, he comes off as a crazy person. I know, like, his current gimmick that you just told me is also batshit insane. Yes. But, but like, yeah. yes. when it comes to, like, the mind of wrestling, like, the guy hitting those callbacks, like, there's something there. That guy is, uh, he's money. And you see him at uh, at the end of the pay-per-view with Takeshita. So the fact that Eno and Takeshita are boys just makes me so much happier, too, as, like, uh, a new Eno stan. Uh, very fun. Also, All Out Steam, just being an uh, a old Naruto theme, incredible. I just, everything about this yes. match hit for me. Yes, they did come out to the Naruto theme. Yeah. Um, yeah, Yuki Ino is one of those guys that I, I recommend because, like, he is just, always finds a way to be fucking entertaining, no matter what he's doing. And, you know, this this is a good it, – it's a fun interaction between him and Akiyama because, again, like, Akiyama is a legend. And, you know, he's he's presented this way as, like, this big fucking badass – like, older guy who's still this fucking badass, right? And Yuki Ino is this younger guy who, again, if you wrestle a power style, you probably, you know – like look up to Jun Akiyama or, you know, stolen his shit or, you know, whatever. Um, he's, you know, you can, you can imagine that, you know, probably studied him and he is really fucking excited to get in the ring and prove himself against Akiyama, except he's just way too fucking excited. <laughs> and Akiyama is just like, you know, he's just like keeps giving him opportunities to kick his ass because he's overexcited to be in the ring with Akiyama. And like throw down with them, and, that, uh, and that's really something. And that's something that everyone can kind of like understand too. It's like meeting your hero, or if you watch like some NFL stuff, like how any rookie nowadays just kind of gawks at Tom Brady whenever they're on the field together, and after yeah. the game where they try and like desperately talk to Tom Brady, 
it's it's very much that same energy. It's just very easily to understand, regardless of the language barrier. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I do again. You, you kind of mentioned it, and I told you about it. Yuki Ino's gimmick now is insane. Um, he changed his name like, last year, I think. He started a tag team with the aforementioned Dan Shoku Dino, the uh, like sexually aggressive gay guy character, um, and sort of is like a, a, a version of that. His his new tag, his new uh, name is Yuki uh, Yuji Sexy Ino. Uh, so he's like, it's Yuki in a, in a, in a, in apostrophes, uh, sexy, you know, in quotes. And then, uh, like his gimmick is like, he basically like, it's like sexually harasses everybody that he wrestles, um, like takes his pants off all the time. And he just had the singles match with Junakiyama recently where I'm not going to spoil who won, but the finish of the match did involve some type of contraption that appeared to be designed to funnel farts from Yuki Ino's ass into Junakiyama's face. It's a good way to get pink eye. So, <laughs> I, go find that on the internet if you can, because it is the shit that Yuki Ino is doing right now is fucking batshit insane, but is still uh, entertaining. Because he is an entertaining fucking man. Uh, so next up, we have a little, little intermission, and we have the three biggest matches on the show up next. And the first one is a big Pro Wrestling Noah versus DDT six-man tag match. And this is an interesting story because it is based off of real-life events. Earlier in the year, Pro Wrestling Noah... Um, which is one of the bigger, uh, more longstanding wrestling promotions in Japan, um, had just been purchased by Cyber Agent, which is a company that owns DDT and also owns Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling. Um, they had just purchased Pro Wrestling Noah, and they had merged like like they had had like they had kind of like merged the wrestling operations between DDT and Pro Wrestling Noah. DDT's executive team is now also taking over Pro Wrestling Noah and Sanshiro Takagi, who is a law, like one of the founders of DDT, a wrestler for DDT for over 20 years. The president of DDT now is the president of Pro Wrestling Noah as well. And so you have the story of this match is Congo, which is a big heel stable in Pro Wrestling Noah, has decided. Actually, DDT, fuck off. Go fuck yourself. We don't like this. We don't want you guys in Pro, Pro Wrestling Noah. Stay out of Riverdale, asshole. <laughs> um, and they are taking on uh, Sanshiro Takagi and a couple of his tag team partners representing DDT. So it is uh, representing Congo. The leader of Congo, Keno, who is one of my favorite wrestlers. He's great. Uh, Masa Kitamiya and uh, a guy named uh, Howe accompanied uh, by backup a few of their uh, fellow stablemates, Manabu Soya, Yoshigi Inamura, and a guy named Mia. Um, and Takagi has chosen as his two tag partners a couple of uh, DDT wrestlers that have ties to pro wrestling, Noah. Um, so he is teaming with Kazusada Higuchi, who formerly wrestled for pro wrestling, Noah, before signing with DDT. And a guy named Tomomitsu Matsunaga, 
who before starting his wrestling career was actually on the ring crew for the very first pro wrestling Noah show. Hmm. Which is an interesting little historical note. So Sanshiro Takagi has chosen a couple guys that have a past little links to pro wrestling Noah. And the story is it's this clash of styles. Pro wrestling Noah is known for it's like stiff, more competitive, serious wrestling versus DDT and like the wacky comedy and antics and all of that entails, right? So uh, we get this like long standoff at the beginning of this match uh, between um, like Keno and Sanshiro Takagi, the two like captains of their respective teams. Keno representing Noah, Takagi representing DDT. They have this long standoff. It's very tense. And then they tag out without doing anything. <laughs> and then uh, we are we are off the races. We get a, a really nice big boy showdown between two of my favorite guys in each promotion, Kazusada Higuchi from DDT and Masakitamiya from Noah. Um, and then we have the spot where, so again, it's it's the clash of styles. Sanshiro Takagi wants to win this match with DDT's signature wacky shit. And so he gets... One of the, like, signature weapons that you see get used in DDT matches, these, like, plastic bins that, like, break really easily, that they, like, you know, they hit people with shit, they hit people with them, and they smash everywhere, and people get driven through them all, all the times in these DDT matches. Keno, like, grabs it away from him and, like, destroys the bin. He's like, fuck you, fuck DDT. And we're off, and we are just brawling all around the studio for a while. Um... And eventually they three on one, they get heat on Sinshiro Takagi for a while. Uh, Keno is like just Keno is like monologuing in the ring, talking shit about DDT uh, and like no selling all of Takagi's strikes. Um, we then we the bicycle spot on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that was insane. So here is another thing that it's like a kind of a signature DDT thing that you don't see in other places. They will use a bike. They have like a bike that they use as a weapon. Like, you will see in some of these matches, someone will, like, especially Sanshiro Takagi does this, but I've seen other people do it too. Like, he gets on a literal bicycle and will just ride it into people. Like, they'll hold someone up, like, up on the entrance ramp or something, and he'll just get on his bike and just ride at the guy and knock them over with the bike. And that happens. And it's always fucking funny. Um, he gets the bicycle and rides it on the floor uh, and, and <laughs> clotheslines someone with it. And then he tries to turn it around and ride it into Keno, and then two of the other Congos guys double clothesline him. Um, we get a uh, cool beef off again between Kitamiya and Higuchi. Ki- uh, Higuchi tags in Takagi. He breaks a plastic bin over Kitamiya's head. Kitamiya no-sells it. And then Takagi gets a second one and breaks another one over his head. Uh, and then Kitamiya gets up and hits him with a Samoan drop. Keno gets in. He hits a bunch of kicks, including three penalty kicks on uh, on Takagi, but Takagi kicks out. Uh, he climbs up the ropes, but then Takagi is able to drop kick him and then superplex him into the ring. Um, we get a bunch of shit between uh, Matsunaga and How. Um, Mao How it's a hurt can run into a pin, but they break it up. They go two on one. Uh, but then Higuchi accidentally takes his partner out, uh, Matsunaga, out with a clothesline. 
and how head scissors Higuchi hits a diving crossbody on Matsunaga, but Matsunaga rolls through for a near fall. He then takes him out with a huge clothesline. Higuchi hits a choke slam. Takagi hits him with a Death Valley driver through one of the plastic bins, but they break up the pin. Um, the finish of the mo- uh, finish of the match comes. Kongo ends up three on one on Matsunaga. They hit a bunch of moves in a row. Uh, Matsunaga then comes back, hits a huge clothesline on Howe for a two count, but then gets Howe up for a backdrop suplex. Howe is able to reverse him into a cradle and get the pin for Kongo defending the honor of pro wrestling Noah, winning the match 19 minutes and 19 seconds. Uh, afterwards, we get this another tense stare down between Keno and Takagi. Keno grabs a microphone, and then just like breathes into it for a second and like throws it away without saying anything. Um, and then Takagi gets the mic cuts promo where apparently he just says like, Hey, you know what? Fuck you guys uh, do whatever. We don't need to fight you guys. Let's just uh, be, let's just kind of live and let live. And then <laughs> that's the end of the, that's the end of the <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, two more guys on the uh, Sicilian Six today. Uh, Keno, just like the note, like he's not a big dude, but his presentation and just like his manner of no selling, just like he's not doing like the Minoru Suzuki thing where he's like saying hit me more or the Ishii thing where it's hit me more or just make a face at you. He's just literally staring into your soul as you bash it over his head. Just like very killing, like super God villain levels of just eerie charisma. And then like Kazu, uh, Kazusada Higuchi, man. Like, the guy, I haven't said this in a minute, but the guy literally oozes charisma off the yeah. screen. He is probably, if I had to choose one guy in DDT that I'm like, like, he, who's my favorite guy, it's him. He's, I love watching him because he's this, just this big fucking imposing badass. I love him. But he's like Randy Orton big. He's not like super yeah. jacked big guy big. He's just yeah. like he's tall. He's lean. You can tell he's athletic, uh, has a charisma about him. It's just he, he could do nothing and just walk out and you'd be like, that dude's a pro wrestler and he's a pretty good one at that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. He is a guy that the second you see him, you're like, this guy is like, like, yeah, you can tell that this guy, like he just has that sort of like badass way about him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He has this sort of just like. He, he just kind of has this like aura about him when he walks out you're like that is a guy that is not that is not to be fucked with no matter what he does you could have him lose a million matches in a row as long as he comes out looking like that you're like yeah he could he can win a title uh you can never go wrong with a faction that's in red and black either like Congo really cool looking faction they roll deep uh Keno is a great leader uh, so very good very good theme too which is like you have all this great kind of like things put together for them in Congo. I love the fact that they have the door imagery to start off this match because LOL forbidden door. It's a meme now. Uh, Eddie Kingston, like Sancho Takagi just reminds me a lot of Eddie Kingston. I actually see Kingston as someone that's going to probably end up evolving into a Takagi type, just an old dude who stands his company until he dies. Like he will be dying in the ring for that company. So Takagi really does sell that as well. Big dudes yelling at each other. Uh, I met like I've already said, Kazusada has some money to him. Like that guy has big match potential. Uh, I'll be honest, David, I, and you might be different here. I would rather go through a pane of glass than get hit with a plastic tub. Like that's just I, me. Yeah, they have those like plastic storage bins. I mean, they look really fucking thin. You know what I mean? They, like they're that- very, very lightweight and they break easily. But you also 
like end up with like the shards of plastic kind of sitting around the ring, which also is a little like I'm not sure I would want to fuck with that. It, here's and here's the reason why. Like when glass breaks, no matter how it breaks, the edge is going to be very thin, very sharp. It's going to cut easy, so it's going to sting like hell for a while. But at the very least, those cuts are just going to be very straight and even and easy to treat. Plastic, when it breaks, does not break as cleanly. So when you get like cut by one of those things that are sharp, that's not as clean a cut. So it's going to hurt a lot more, even though it's going to look like the same injury. I feel like you're completely mess- making this up. I feel like no. you're talking complete bullshit. I, I, I know for a fact that glass breaks sharply and like plastic would not just based on how they are hit with broken glass and or broken plastic i have not this is this is just fully based on like scientific research that was maybe five minutes of uh, scientific research on getting hit with broken glass yes or you want falling on broken glass i would prefer a thousand times out of a thousand than falling on scientific research like were you watching roadhouse with patrick swayze absolutely no it's just like think just thinking about how the the properties of both of those two solids and like what their components are but That's, I don't know. I feel like you're completely talking bullshit here. But I, you might not be. I have no fucking idea. We, we're going to have a lot more of this shit in this next exam <laughs> to talk about similarly. And also the imagery of just being hit by a plastic bin, man. That's just like – that's some, that's some like – I love creative weaponry and that is super creative. And yes. you see those things shattered and you're just like, wow, that was a big hit. Um, yeah. And the bicycle, man. The whole yeah. fucking bicycle segment is just <laughs> – it's utterly insane. There's a clothesline with the bicycle. I'm just losing my mind. Um, yeah. Well, that's that's one of the things that I like about this match. It's like um, the the imagery of we have pro, it's like the pro wrestling Noah versus DDT. The uh, the Noah guys want to win it by actual wrestling and are showing disdain for the wacky DDT bullshit as as uh, shown by like. Keno taking the plastic bin away from Takagi and just like breaking it and fucking stomping on it going fuck you fuck this DDT shit um, and DDT the DDT team trying to win with like yeah two two of their like kind of things that are like very like are, are kind of when, when you watch it specific to that promotion you don't really see the plastic bins in other places and you don't see the bicycle in other places. Like those are two things that you specifically see in DDT. Does hitting someone with a bicycle or while on a bicycle count as attempted vehicular manslaughter? Uh, that's a good question. Um, maybe. Man, it, I don't it, know what the law is in Japan. True. This is just again so much fun. The t- like breaking tubs over their heads, just super like brutal looking spots. Uh, and then, like, the whole Takagi-Kano play, play out, like, again, I mentioned Kano just comes off as, like, a super god villain, big bad endgame kind of type. And, like, Takagi's, like, this old, weathered, underdog hero. Just, like, they both play their roles super fantastically. Um, the choke slam by Higuchi, again, big Higuchi guy. And then I love the fact that Noah got the win, or Kongo got the win, with, like, a roll-up, and it's cheeky instead of just, like, a straight-up clean-cut finish. Because, like... It doesn't make when you lose that way. It doesn't necessarily hurt your cause, but if you lose clean, your cause event like really does lose all credence. So I did enjoy that spot too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it was a, a good touch to have them win. I really came away from this match really wanting more than anything um, a singles match between Higuchi and Masaki Tamiya because I thought they were great in the in the instances where they showed off. 
And then I looked it up and was very sad to find out that, that has not happened. Huh. Two years since. How, have we had a Takagi uh, Keno match? Like, just straight up um, one-on-one. I do not believe that we have. A, Sanchero Takagi at this point doesn't wrestle a whole lot. I mean, lot. the dude was old. Like, he, you could tell he, he was. in his 50s now. I mean, yes. he was one of the guys that founded DDT years ago. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that they have wrestled. I'm just saying that there's meat on that bone if they ever want to revisit that. But, I, I, like, with Higuchi and uh, uh, Kinamiya, like, that's a match you can easily do. Like, Takagi being as old as he is. You might want to say, like, you might want to break in case of emergency, and that might never happen, and we have to be okay with it. Yeah. He still wrestles, but it's not, like, like every show or anything. Like, he's still, like, you know, he's still pretty active, but not, like, you know, all the time. He's in his 50s. And he's the president of the promotion. Like, he has other shit to do. Um, but, yeah. Guy that I also highly recommend, because when he was in his pro, like, kind of went away from it for a little bit, but, like... His gimmick was that he did like a stone cold uh, impression. I could tell by the glass breaking entrance music. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> that was his thing. He was just pretending to be stone cold. And it was funny. So, next up, uh, we have, so we, we had a taste of a lot of the, you know, DDT experience so far. This is another uh, big part of the DDT experience hardcore matches with really like kind of weird creative weapon spots, like a Lego bat. Yes, like a Lego bat. Uh, funny you mentioned that. Um, DDT Universal title on the line in a three-way hardcore match. Universal title is a... It's not their top title. It's a. It's called the Universal title, but it's like it's like a mid-card belt. Um, it is the champion, Daisuke Sasaki, a personal favorite. The just angriest, most miserable man on Earth. Um, comes out... Representing the uh, the team Damnation, same team as we saw earlier with uh, with Mad Pauly. Um, he comes out and he had such a sick look, walking out with a leather jacket with a Damnation sign stuck into the top of his leather jacket, so the sign sticks out above his head as he's walking in. Genius look from Daisuke Sasaki. He is defending the title against Sami Kodaka, who is a guy. Um, and a guy named Shunma Katsumata, who, uh, if you tune into this year's uh, DDT Peter Pan coming up next month, uh, is already booked in a hardcore match against Joey Janela, who is coming over to DDT. He's going to wrestle this guy in a hardcore match. That'll probably be uh, completely ridiculous in every way. Uh, Shunma comes out dressed in, uh, this is a fucking look from Shunma Katsumata. He pulls it off. Uh, dress shirt, dress pants, suspenders, Joker clown makeup, um, and a baseball bat that has Legos stuck all over it. <laughs> uh, Shunma, serving looks, my guy. And they have weapons basically set up all around the arena, stacks of chairs, um, a trash can filled with kendo sticks. They got all this shit out and around for your for your uh, for your perusal and use if you if you so choose um and we get about 25 minutes of just wild weapon spots all the way through um so we start off with this like full-on like choreographed like kendo stick sword fight between daisuke sasaki and uh isami kodaka 
And then we get a bunch of shit tossed into the ring, including these like weird like metal containers. Like I, I don't I don't know exactly what those were, but they're sort of like almost like um metal trash like bins. A little bit, yeah, like almost kind of like bread boxes type deals. Like they were like like just kind of weird little metal containers. And we have this spot where Sami Kodake and Shun Makatsumata sit on chairs in front of each other, whacking each other back and forth with these metal containers. Um, and with like the, like kind of like the metal sound that they're making, they're not hitting each other hard at all, but they're like selling also like ridiculously for it. Um, and like with the, like kind of like slappy metal sound it's making, it's like, honestly, at a night with a lot of like slapstick comedy, it was one of the funniest things I saw the entire (laughs) show. Um, Sasaki, by the way, Daisuke Sasaki. Uh, enter a new entrance into the list of shirts that I've seen on this uh, show, like for two and a half marks that I need to buy. His shirt that just says "Fuck you, we're from Mother Earth." <laughs> I mean, what a sick! You, 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 the dude has "fuck" on his t-shirt. You know he's cool. It's a, well, I, he comes out with the shirt and it says "fuck you," and I'm like, <laughs> okay, and like I couldn't tell what the rest of the writing was, and finally, like a few minutes into the match, I was able to see. And it says, fuck you, we're from Mother Earth. Um, he comes in right after I'm able to read his uh, shirt. He DDT Shun Ma onto a trash can. And then back suplexes him onto a chair. Uh, and then Kodaka body slams Shunma through one of the plastic bins. Uh, they form an alliance against Shunma for a little while. But then Shunma takes them both out with a running dropkick. And hits a big dive off the top rope to the outside. Um, and they get a bunch of brawling, bunch of chair spots on the floor. Uh, Shunma headbutts Daisuke Sasaki off a ladder through a bunch of chairs set up on the outside. That one was neat. Um, then superplexes Asami Kodaka off a ladder onto chairs in the ring for a near fall. We get a spot where Sasaki puts Shunma's head through a ladder and then jumps off the top rope to hit it with a chair as he's like hung over the top rope. Um, and then goes for the pin. Kodaka hits diving double knees off the top rope to break up the pin. Shunma gets brain busted onto one of the metal uh, boxes, but they actually like set that move up completely perfectly. So like, like the way he comes down, like he rolls right off it. It probably didn't hurt at all. Uh, like they set that up perfectly. Um, yeah. Then. Fucking uh, Sasaki then spears Shunma off the apron through a table. Have to give credit to Shunma Katsumata in this one. MVP performance. Every single time someone's taking a ridiculous bump. It was him. Him doing it. <laughs> like The man put in an MVP performance. Um, so we get Sami Kodaka's diving double knees onto a chair, onto a ladder, onto Daisuke Sasaki for a near fall. Uh, but then Sasaki catches him coming off the ropes into La Mystica, into a cross face. Uh, Kadaka reverses it into a cradle uh, for a two count. Shunma gets back in, hits a top rope cutter on Kodaka. Uh, Daisuke Sasaki breaks it up, puts him in a cross face. Shunma is able to fight out of it by grabbing his Lego bat and hitting him with the Lego bat. Um, opens up. A, a bin in the corner and pours Legos all over the fucking ring. <laughs> and you know it's fucking real. He's got Legos all over the ring. He pedigrees Daisuke Sasaki onto the chair, onto Legos. Goes for the pin, kicks out. Body slams him onto the Legos. 
puts five chairs, stacks up five chairs on Daisuke Sasaki, and then does a moonsault double stomp onto the chairs, onto Sasaki, who is on top of Legos. Uh, but then they break up the pin. Um, Shunma knocks Kadaka out with the Lego bat, hits Sasaki with it, too. Uh, but then Sasaki's able to push him into a ladder, hits him with a low blow with the bat, and then hits a Hurricane Rana into the pin, and Daisuke Sasaki gets the pin off of the Lego bat low blow Hurricane Rana pin uh, and retains the title 24 minutes and 12 seconds. Just absolutely insane, fantastic match, funny match. Like, I, th- there's not the right words to describe this match. There are The thing about DDT, like hardcore matches is like you will see some like crazy shit but you'll also see like they'll use like unique weapons in a unique way where you're like oh wow that's really like i've never really seen that before but there's also this like even in like this hardcore match there's this undercurrent of comedy to the whole thing oh my god uh there are mad like there are moments in this match that go slow but just because like the amount of spots they cram into this match is alone just like May, may, it makes it a little bit forgiving because they do take some time setting up those spots. Uh, the Joker cosplay by Shunma, I mean, something that's so stupid, but that just works for that guy, especially as he's taking every single bump in this match that could probably kill you. Um, with 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 Daisuke, you you mentioned him as one of the guys that I would love, and in a vacuum maybe but when you watch a guy come out and have his sign get stuck on the bottom rope when he's trying to get in the ring it really does knock him down a few pegs it was very funny um but like again shunma just stole the show Th- them hitting each other with those bins because they did not look like it would hurt even the slightest but they're selling it like it's a dang shot I, I was losing my mind, and then when they were going back and forth with the metal bins and the plastic bins, because I would laugh at every metal bin shot, but then I'm cringing my ass off whenever they're going through those plastic bins. Um, the suplex on the chair, super cool, falling through the ladders, that was a brutal-looking spot, credit to Sasaki. Um, the jumping chair shot onto the ladder, like, again, they cram every spot in here. Shunma takes a shit ton of this offense, and he just keeps coming back for more, kind of like an RVD type. Like, the guy just takes insane offense. Again, every, David was not underselling the fact that every spot yeah. that could kill you went to Shunma, and every, Shunma sold the shit, the shit out of it. Yeah. MVP performance from Shunma, who, again, every single fucking, like, big spot in this match involved him either like giving the move but in doing so falling like 20 feet or or <laughs> taking the bump into something like mvp performance also legos as a wrestling prop is genius level shit because like it's a simple toy but you know those shits hurt to fall on because yeah. whenever if anyone has stepped on a lego you know the pain now imagine getting backdropped onto that like oh yeah. man Brutal. It is safer. It is safer than doing it on like um, glass, like glass, tacks, thumbtacks. It is safer than those things. It's not going to fucking cut you open and have you bleed everywhere. But also, kind of, you know, it, it keeps that like oh shit factor because every single person watching knows how much it hurts to step on a fucking Lego, and so like even though it's like. You know, it's less hardcore because you're not going to bleed or whatever. Like, when someone pours out Legos onto the fucking mat, 
you're still going to naturally have that like oh <sighs> shit reaction. You're like oh god no, that's gonna hurt so fucking bad. And then the pedig- we've all we've all not not every single one of us. I I have never fucking like been slammed on the thumbtacks. I haven't stepped on a thumbtack before and had the thumbtack go into my foot. I'm sure some people have. I haven't. I have. Like even though like I see that and it hurts. Like I'm like oh man that I'm sure that hurts. That looks gnarly. Oh he's bleeding. Like it's a different sort of like you know sympathy that you feel because every single one of us has stepped on a fucking Lego in our lives. No matter no, no matter who you are, you have fucking done. It. And, and the finish of the match too, just like you have a pedigree on the Legos and he kicks out, super huge pop for that. The moonsault yeah. stomp onto the chairs, like moonsault double stomp onto five chairs onto Lego, like that. Just that sense alone is this makes this match very much worth it. Um, Post match promos are always weird because they're either like super fired up or super dramatic. And exhausted, yeah. or they're just exhausted and heavily breathing into the mic. So it, I'm always like kind of 50 50 on post match promos, but like this was a respect thing, obviously. I could get, I could gather that. Well, so it, the, it, it the ties context, everything, it ties everything right together. Yeah. So the context for the post match promo um, is so afterwards, Asami Kodaka. So they do this promo where like Sasaki is like, you know, he's just won and retained the title. He's got this belt. He is like sitting on a chair in the ring. And Kodaka gets back into the ring and climbs up a ladder. So he's sitting on top of a ladder while Sasaki is beneath him in the ring, sitting on a chair with his belt. And Kodaka challenges him for a one-on-one match because he was not the one pinned in the match. And from what I've read, essentially, Sasaki says, actually, no, fuck off. I don't want to do that. Go away. Ah, okay. So Uh, I was completely wrong then. And then... (laughs) The ending of the promo is him saying, like, I actually have my next challenger, Masahiro Takanashi, who is another guy who wrestles for DDT. But the uh, context for that is, like, Takanashi had just gotten injured and they had just announced that he was going to be out for, like, a year. So he was like, he's my next challenger. Fuck off. I'll see you guys in a year when he comes back. I guess I'll just have this belt for a year. Go <laughs> away. That was, that was him doing that. Incredible. Um, so that's the context for that that promo. But yeah, Daisuke Sasaki, a personal favorite of mine, because he is he like specializes in this exact kind of match. And again, is also like just the angriest, most pissed off, miserable man on earth. And I I have a lot of fun with uh, Daisuke Sasaki matches. So next up, it is main event time. It is the conclusion to the heated feud between DDT's young ace, Kanosuke Takeshita, and one of the most feared, strong-style aces in the history of Japanese wrestling. We are talking, of course, about the killer, Yoshihiko. For context, Yoshihiko is a blow-up doll (laughs) that everyone just treats as if it's an actual wrestler. You might have seen uh, the viral clip from the Yoshihiko Kota Ibushi match where uh, Yoshihiko hits, I think it was nine consecutive Canadian destroyers on Ibushi. But it's like, <laughs> you know, it's Ibushi like creating the, uh, the, 
the illusion that Yoshihiko's a real wrestler and is doing Canadian Destroyers. So it's just Ibushi flipping backwards and taking the bump on his own nine consecutive times. Um, yeah, this is one of the, like, really distinct things about DDT that, like, always kind of, like, it, like gets a lot of play on the internet. It's, like, one of those really sort of, like, crazy things about the promotion is they this is one of the things that they do they have a wrestler that is a blow-up doll but in their world in their canon because this is its own pocket universe that is not tethered to the rest of reality yoshihiko despite being a blow-up doll is a real wrestler and everyone treats it like it's a real wrestler um and like but like also having a match with yoshihiko is like your sense to like like if you're if you're the human wrestler in that uh situation is your opportunity to show how good you are by seeing how good of a match you can have with an inanimate object, right? It's it, I, I mentioned this in my notes. It, it's so patently ridiculous. It's genius because it, you're bringing the wrestling of broom legend to life. Like this is literally yes. like you hear about Bret Hart could have a great match with a broom. Yes, that's the old saying. That person is so good they could have a great match with a broom, right? This is the real life test of that. Yeah. Yeah, this is it. Like you're so good. Will put you with a blow up doll and see how good see how good the match is. And I'll tell you, I've seen some good matches with this <laughs> blow up doll. I have to say, um, yeah. So it is the main event. We've had a heated feud over the last couple of months between uh, Yoshihiko and Takeshita and Takeshita's whole stable all out. Uh, of course, we saw all out earlier on uh, Yuki Ino and uh, Hito in that match. We will see some more of uh, Yuki Ino in this in this match, but this is a this was and again this is another thing that was like we remember the pandemic era of wrestling, the moments that cinematic matches had. There, you know, they're not they're not really doing them anymore, but they they leaned into cinematic matches really hard during the pandemic because there's no crowd, so you're not beholden to like oh we need to entertain the live audience, we need to have this you know. So the live audience can follow up because there is no live audience. So that's how we got like, you know, the like the the Undertaker AJ Styles Boneyard match, of which this is like basically a complete parody, right? Which happened a couple months before. Or like the John Cena Bray Wyatt Firefly Funhouse match. Or like Stadium Stampede. Or all this other shit, right? Um A lot of the good. The the money in the bank match at Titan Towers, which was also amazing. Where Baron Corbin murdered Rey Mysterio. Yeah, where Rey Mysterio got thrown off of the top of the skyscraper to his death, and they came back the next week. Um, yeah. Like, we have this, uh, we, it's like the perfect, like, cinematic main event for the, uh, the pandemic era. We are going to finish this in the in like a complete parody of the boneyard match, um, not the only boneyard parody match parody that was uh, <laughs> the, uh, the talk and shop of mania boner yard match. That was also Very just similar. other ridic- utter ridiculousness. That entire card was that will be one of our special ten episode shows, but that will oh, not we be absolutely <laughs> need to watch uh, the talk and shop of mania. So one of the greatest experiences I've ever had because like like. Gallows and Anderson, I feel like a lot of people don't like their... There are some people who don't like their sense of humor because it's so juvenile. It is. I, I'm, I'm the opposite. Like, I, I, I think they're fucking hilarious. <laughs> like, I have I have a child sense of humor, and I absolutely think they're fucking funny. 
<laughs> hey, Beavis, uh, you watch this show? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so we have the cinematic match between uh, Kanosuke Takeshita and the blow-up doll Yoshihiko. Um, and it's a cinematic main event. And it's, like, shot in a lot of ways like a horror film. It's crazy. Um, so we start out. Takeshita is on his phone. Yoshihiko has sent him a, a location for the place that they're going to meet and fight. He doesn't know, you know, he, he, so he's, you know, walking through Tokyo, trying to find wherever it is that Yoshihiko has sent him. And he finally finds the spot. And it turns out to be a fucking graveyard. Uh, so yeah, and this is a couple months after they did the Boneyard match between AJ and Undertaker. So it is a complete like parody of it. And they, so now we have Kanosuke Takeshita. I'm, I'm sitting here on my laptop watching Kanosuke Takeshita, one of the most talented wrestlers in the world, chain wrestling with a blow up doll in a graveyard. <laughs> um, and it's, it reminds you a little bit of the, what was the, um, the Vampiro Kiss Demon, like... Oh, the or, fucking... Like, match or that's, whatever. That's long. Um, graveyard match. Graveyard match. In that, it's, like, shot very dark, so it's kind of hard to see. But that also kind of works to their advantage, because one of the things about Yoshihiko is he has somebody that carries him whenever he needs to move around independently from the wrestler he's wrestling. And it's, like, a person dressed up in, like, all black, carrying him around. Um, Which makes the experience ten times better, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. It makes the experience better because, like, it's so dark you can't see that guy. So you just see the blow-up doll. So it works a little bit better. Uh, but it's still kind of hard to see. Um, Yoshihiko is beating the shit out to catch him. Um, he DDTs him on the ground. We have this spot where, like, the doll is, like, flying around, beating him up. And Takeshita is, like, panicking. Like, he's freaking out on the ground. He's, like, seeing, like, Yoshihiko in his mind everywhere. They have these, like, overlays of his face. Like, he's in Takeshita's mind. And he fucking is panicking, and he tries to run away. And they have the doll, like, chasing him through the graveyard. <laughs> and uh, eventually, Yoshihiko, the doll, catches up to him and beats him up. He bulldogs him on the gravel. Um Yoshihiko puts Takeshita in a figure four leg lock on the on like the ground of the fucking graveyard, which is really funny because you watch Takeshita like put himself in the figure four and then he locks it in and starts screaming in pain. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, this is the funniest fucking thing I've ever watched in my life. Eventually he's able to escape and he limps away through the graveyard down the road. Finally, he's like in the bushes. He thinks he's clear. And he gets on the phone and he tries to call his friend, Yuki Ino, for help. Um, but then there's this little spot of like Yoshihiko has like like thermal vision like the fucking predator. predator. And you see him <laughs> fucking through the trees and he attacks him from behind. Right as like we see Yuki Ino, who's like home in the shower, pick up the phone. And he's like, Kanosuke, is that you? Are you okay? And then cut to Takeshita's phone. He's on the ground, like, abandoned. And Yukino's like, well, shit, okay, I hope he's all right. Um, Takeshita has escaped again. He's trying to escape. He's fleeing through some building somewhere. And he runs up the stairs. And we see Yoshiko's face appear through the door as he, like, slowly, menacingly makes his way up the stairs towards where Takeshita is. 
finally he gets up to the roof, but Takesh just got the drop on him. He jumps off a roof, like a, like a kind of like a ledge, and like attacks him. He puts him in a busted crab. Eventually, he fights his way towards this ledge. Yoshigo is like choking him as he's hanging over the ledge, like a fucking like this is the most insane movie I've ever watched. <laughs> but Takesh reverses him and he punches him, and Yoshihiko falls over over the ledge, seemingly to his death. Takeshita is relieved. He thinks he's finally free. But then a bloodied Yoshihiko, he's got blood all over his face now. Yoshihiko appears behind him suddenly and puts him in a chokehold. Um, eventually, Takeshita's about to go out unconscious, but he's able to slam his way out of the chokehold, walks over, finds a gas can full of gasoline. He's going to pour, he tries to pour the gasoline over Yoshihiko as this, this background music is starting to reach a crescendo here. Um, he pulls, he's about to, he pulls out a lighter. He's about to light Yoshihiko on fire. But Yoshihiko fights back and then reaches up and rips out Takeshita's eye out of his fucking socket, which is, I had to look it up. This is about a month and a half before WWE did the eye for an eye match between, was it Ray and, Ray and Seth? Ray and Seth. WWE saw this. They stole that. They stole the gimmick from Yoshihiko. Seth Rollins, big DDT guy. Yeah. Seth Rollins is watching this shit. He's, he's watching Yoshihiko. He's taking notes. Um, <laughs> he, he's, he's, he's removed to catch his eye. Takesh has like this fake blood all over him. He's got one of his eyes closed. He's selling this. Um, they fight over the eye. And like the music is like so fucking dramatic right now. The Takeshita is able to reclaim his eye and he puts his eye back in and he opens his eye up and he's completely fine. <laughs> it's just that his eye ripped out and he just shoved his back back into his five, head. Five, five second rule, David. If you, if you put it back in five seconds, it'll just heal like normal. It's true. He's completely healed. He's totally fine now. Um, this uh, this battered and bloody Takesh to trade strikes with Yoshihiko on the top of this roof as the sun begins to rise. Yoshihiko hits the Canadian destroyer on the roof. Yoshihiko gets the lighter. He's about to light Takesh to on fire. But Takesh is able to rip the lighter away. And he throws it at Yoshihiko. And <laughs> when the lighter hits him, there's this like huge like special effects explosion. Yoshihiko explodes. It is like like the most fucking bottom of the barrel like MS Paint ass fucking explosion ever. Um, but Yoshihiko is gone. He has exploded. Uh, Takeshita comes to and he gets up covered in blood. And he looks out over, over the Tokyo skyline and he raises his fists in victory as the sun rises. And then finally, Yuki Ino shows up too late. He's got a bunch of baseball bats, like ready to fight, but it's already over. And Yuki Ino and Takeshita walk away into the Tokyo sunrise together as the credits roll. They have actual literal, literal credits that roll over the <laughs> two of them walking into the sun, into the sunrise. And then the first actual legitimate post credit scene that I have ever seen in wrestling we see the lifeless body of uh, Yoshihiko lying on the ground. And then suddenly his eyes like light up, like special effects light up. Yoshihiko is still alive as this, as this, uh, as the show ends. 
the most insane thing I've ever watched in my entire life. I might end up just like copying you verbatim when I go into this rant because like you just have to appreciate the commitment of this, like the level of commitment that like uh, Takeshita has for like this match and that DDT has for presenting it. Like if you just do something for the sake of doing something and you don't put your full heart into it, everyone knows. Like, if we didn't give three shits about this podcast, and, like, you would be able to tell on the podcast that we were just going through the motions. We love this shit. Um, you have to be able to sell that bit. And you see it in wrestling all the time. If someone isn't committed to the gimmick, then it immediately flops. The only way you can even get something, a semblance of over if you believe it in yourself. Like, think about how Ezekiel, will, how easily that would have been to flop. How easy, like... Maximum male models would be to flop, but the way they've presented it and treated it as like, you know, this is it. This is a big thing like that. That makes it feel so much important. Uh, Kanosuke selling a dragon screw is arguably the more the most impressive things about this match. because He's selling a dragon screw from an inanimate object. Just yeah, utterly incredible. The figure four spot also incredible. Um, and, and yeah, they do a lot of great things with like the production of this match. Like. Uh, uh, Yoshihiko popping up in the window is just like I was laughing, but it was also like a little bit terrifying, like a horror movie terrifying. Like he just pops up suddenly with the music and it's just perfect. They do like it's like a slasher film. Like <laughs> they do a whole like slasher film, but it's a wrestling match with the fucking uh, like <laughs> inflatable doll. Uh, just how deep uh, Kanosuke put Yoshihiko in that Boston Crab. I've never seen a Boston yeah. Crab deeper. Ah, oh, man. And Yoshihiko... Kanosuke does, like, a full bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Walls of Jericho eat your heart out. Uh, yeah. Yoshihiko was about to Corbin Kanosuke. Kanosuke ends up Corbin-ing uh, Yoshihiko, but Yoshihiko leaves with the Crimson Mask. Uh, the threatening to light each other on fire. Uh, the, the eye spot, too. Just, like, the fact that WWE saw this and did the same thing a few months later. Just everyone's a th- thief. We all steal from everyone else. Uh, just incredible. And then him just like casually throwing the eye back in. Just peak comedy. And then the explosion at the end. Just, again, it shows you that you can be silly in your matches. Because this was like, again, it's a match between a real dude and a blow-up doll. With all a bunch of crazy spots. With a guy that actually walks around with this blow-up doll. And like dressed in all black. It's just, oh, man. This is what pro wrestling is about. Like everything about pro wrestling you could do with pro wrestling is boiled down into this match. So much fun. Is it something that like if you show it to your typical like person in the world that they're going to appreciate? No, they're going to be like, "Why the hell are you watching this dumbass shit?" Show this to a normal person who didn't watch wrestling, they would like have you committed to a mental <laughs> But this is truly just everything about it. It's a stroke of genius. And the level of commitment they play to it makes it worthy of a main event match, and it makes it worthy of, like, just watching and seeking out. Yeah, I feel like if you really get wrestling and you understand why people like wrestling, um, in, like, the modern, like, in, like, the post-kayfabe world, like, you will understand this. You will understand why people like this. But, like, if you don't get it, then you're going to think this is the single fucking stupidest thing of all time. Um, which it kind of is, but the thing about it is, and the reason why it works is because it's taken. So like, it's, it's this completely absurd thing that everyone within it treats with complete seriousness. It's like, yes, it's obvious that it's, it's completely ridiculous. It's to catch to wrestling, a fucking doing a slasher film against a blow up doll in a graveyard, right? It is on its face, completely ridiculous, but because it's, 
like it would lose its i feel like a lot of its entertainment if they like winked at the camera at all yeah i mean like one of the one of the things that like drives me crazy about like I feel like a lot of mar- like modern media, but like especially like for instance like Marvel shit. Yeah, Marvel annoys the shit out of me because like there's no like serious moment that like ever is allowed to go by without somebody like making a little cute like winking at the camera, alluding like, to you know like a little breaking the fourth wall bullshit. You know like that's sort of like kind of like um, like cutesy like kind of winking at the camera is like shit is there in everything now and there's none of that here like Takeshita is fighting for his fucking life here like the like the comedy is there because it's an absurd premise carried out in an absurd way but it works because the people cuz it works because to Kanosuke Takeshita he is in real life fighting this blow up doll who is actually a real person who is trying to murder him <laughs> And this is the most important fight that he's ever been in. Yes, he actually did get his eye ripped out and he put it back in. Because that is just, you know, again, I mentioned this. DDT exists in its own pocket dimension where these things are true. And they are treated with complete seriousness by the people within them. Because to them, they are real. And that's what pro wrestling is. We know it's not real, but... The people within it, the people within the story, they care because to the characters, it is real to them. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's, it's, we've talked about like the horseshoe theory. I think this horseshoe theory really does hold up with a lot of pro wrestling. There's going to be that very entry level stuff that's just very simple on its face that's going to be really good. Then there's that stuff in the middle where you're trying things, but you're not committed to it or you're not trying anything new and you're just kind of going through the motions where that it really kind of drags down. Think like, 20 mid 20 teens WWE where we complain a lot about the lack of creativity with the booking where they appeared multiple times on TV talking about how things are going to change because people were so railed against it and then you get to the other end which is where TDT seems to functionally exist where it's all batshit insane but taken so seriously that you as a viewer have to take it seriously too and that's what makes it great as well. Um, and with the Marvel comp too, it's also why you have someone like Deadpool, like Deadpool has this massive cult following. I think the reason why Deadpool works as well as it does, even for a casual fan is because they do that fourth wall shit to the ridiculous extent that you're like, oh, okay, this is, that's the whole bit, right? Like in, in the Marvel movies canon, they're doing it, even though that's not like traditionally how the movie should be acting those characters aren't characters that functionally function with the fourth wall but deadpool that's his entire gimmick and like that's kind of why it works when you're ever in a deadpool movie versus like when they do it with like reed richards as uh the guy that played uh jim in the office shows up it's just yeah fuck off i hate it i i'm gonna i'm gonna say it i thought dr strange 2 sucked hated it i hated it and I was I was fully prepared to enjoy it because I liked the first one. I thought it sucked ass. Holy shit! There was I was, I was willing to. I would have bet money that that was going to be good, and it sucked. A lot of tongue in cheek on that one. Anyway, I thought it sucked ass. Hmm. But yeah, this again. I, just to wrap this up, there are six guys that I would actively uh, promote, like going to view and find other other stuff. Uh, Soriano. Uh, Yuki Ino, Keno, Kasuda Higuchi, Shunma Katsumata, and of course, 
my large adult Japanese son, Kanosuke Takeshita. Yeah, it, it, it makes it so much better when you realize you're watching this shit and you realize that, like, yeah, Takeshita is one of the most talented wrestlers. Like, insanely. Yeah, when, when he is, since he has come over to the United States, you have seen him just have great match after great match with everybody that he's been in there with. Uh, and he's been in there with a lot of different types of wrestlers that different types of matches. And he has been just a massive success. And it's been a lot of fun for someone like, you know, for someone like me who like, I watch DDT pretty regularly. I don't watch every show, but I watch it decent amount. Um, and I've, I've been a fan of his for a long time and always thought, you know, man, if he comes over and has like a serious like run, I'm sure he would do really well because he's very good. And to see that, like, see that come to pass, you know what I mean? Like, to see him actually get a chance to come over here and then, like, immediately fucking, like, like, in five seconds fucking get over and everyone wants to see him. He's become one of, like, the really hot names, like, on the indies now and, like, wrestling in AEW. Like, see so many people, like, just instantly fucking become a fan of him. He's doing a seminar in, like, three weeks. Yeah. Yes, and I may go to that. I need you to go to that. I I need you to go that and get like if you can get a signature for me, please. I I need I need a Kenosuke signature. I will pay you shit. Ah okay. oh, man, it's like in the, like what? It's in it's, it's in like Newark. It's, it's not it's, that it's, far it's, away. It's Southern at New Jersey. It's Garden State Pro Wrestling. Uh, but like man, this is just again I, to wax poetically about Kenosuke. Go watch his speedball match. Go watch his Lee Moriarty match. Go watch the match he had against Hangman. The yes. dude's oh, inc- the hangman match. The dude is oh. incredible. And like ultimately, like, even though he is seemingly moving on to bigger pastures, he still wants everybody that watches him to go watch DDT Pro Wrestling. And like if he is not the best ambassador to do that, there's gonna be no one else that fits that role. And he is again, mission accomplished. And I would again to just to echo this, go watch this show. It's fun. It's a great three hours that really does move. There's nothing that really like there's not going to be that match. You're like, I can't believe I fucking watched that garbage. It's going to be all fun. It's going to be a great time. Yeah. J- it, just it, watch it, it. DDT is always a good time. You know, it is. You, you, you get a lot of the wacky comedy on here. You get a lot of the, like, really strange, like, shit happening in, like, hardcore matches. But you also see really good wrestling. I mean, really, really good wrestling. When the re- when like they are out there trying to have a good match, they have good matches. And yeah, watch fucking Takeshita versus Speedball. I was watching that match, losing my fucking mind. Watch like, it on my lunch break. I couldn't go back to work afterwards. I was losing my fucking shit watching that match. Fuck me. Awesome. Yeah. No. It, this, <laughs> like just the complete. That's what I was saying. The complete like buy-in from Takeshita and like just fully treating this seriously is what makes this as entertaining as well. And I, I had forgotten a lot. Like I watched this when it happened, you know? Um, and I remember this being insane. I remembered a lot of the stuff that happened. I remembered the fucking terrible, like fake explosion. Uh, I had forgotten the whole eye thing. So <laughs> when he ripped his eye out, I was like, Oh fuck. I had completely forgotten about that. Like this match is even more insane than I remember it being. But it's kind of like I know people who hated, hated 
the Cena Bray Wyatt Firefly Funhouse match. And, and they're wrong. Guys, and those people are wrong. But it's like, yeah, you know, it's if you look at it as a wrestling match, it's not good. But it's not a wrestling match. It's a short film. It's a short film. It's not a wrestling match. And it cannot be treated like a wrestling match. So if people tell you that they don't like it, oh, it's bad. This isn't wrestling. Well, it's not fucking wrestling, dude. Shut the fuck up. They, they can't contemplate a different worldview for like 15 minutes. God forbid. Wrestling doesn't have to be two guys in a ring. It can be a man and a blow-up doll in a graveyard. <laughs> Poetic. And you know what? I still give it five stars. All right. So that's that. Um, again, like, I feel like it's it's tough to do these because you're introducing so many different people. I'm saying so many different Japanese names of, like, people that I know who they are, but, like, a lot of people, I'm sure, listening don't know who Shun Makatsumata is. Or, like, a lot of different names, different different shit. Trying to, like, you know, introduce these things as best I can and, like, give as good of a sense as I can of what's going on. But something like this, it's just kind of like, you know what? You got to watch it. You know, you just had to be there. You know, you have to. You'll, have to you, you, you understand more if you watch. Yeah. Um, and I, I have to recommend it highly. And I have to recommend DDT highly because it is just it's very own distinct brand of pro wrestling. That is always a good fucking time. So. Two and a half marks. It's the name of the podcast. It's the thing that we do. Angelo, start us off. My negative half mark uh, feels obligatory. It's going to COVID. I mean, you see no fans. You see, like, and people will get freaked out over this. It's kind of delved this entire world into a huge mess, even more so than before. But, like, we in America, we just saw a mask most of the time. We were wearing masks and gloves. These people are in full-blown hazmat suits setting up this match, spraying this disinfectant the entire time. Like, you could tell, like, this is a different level treating this, you know, disease. And who says it's right? Who says it's wrong? But, like, this is the level that they had to deal with during this time. And it's just utterly insane. Even, like, for my standards, like, they're in hazmat suits. They're spraying this disinfectant the entire time throughout the entire match. You see this little gun. And, like, everyone that's around the ring is wearing these hazmats. It's just utterly insane. COVID was a horrible time. It's led to a horrible fallout. And, frankly, I cannot wait for the day where I can just remember, not fondly, the COVID. Because the COVID is awful. Uh, one mark is going to watching something new because, again, like it's hard to convince yourself to watch new wrestling because you're like, well, I know I have WWE. They're the biggest thing. New Japan's pretty big. I know them. Uh, AEW has kind of burst onto the scenes. It's the new shiny toy. But a lot of these like independent promotions hardly like kind of go into and watch like, yeah, why, why not? Enjoy wrestling side, a few good things, uh, obviously with DDT and uh, what was it? West Coast Pro Wrestling had this speedball uh uh, to catch the match, right? West Coast. I mean, watching any of those shows, they're well produced. The indies are like, even if you think the worst stereotypical indies, like, ah, oh, they're just in a high school gym. They might be in a high school gym, but they're putting together a pretty good show. They know how to book. They know how to put on some action. They know how to get crowds to pop. And if you're buying into them, it's going to be something fun. And you get to see something new. You get to find new guys. It's like it's like a dra- the draft process. You get to find new guys to like and hope that they get reach a, ne- a next level. And yeah. uh, so watching something new is always going to be entertaining. The, wind, the, the, the indies are busting for real right now. Exactly. There's some young guy named David Stabman who's just starting out that has high hopes. We'll get there. Uh, two marks, finally. 
it's going to command to the gimmick, like I've been saying, if you commit to something seriously and just, like, play it as, like, deadpan and, like, genuine, like the whole Yoshihiko thing, it's going to get over. Or if you're just going to play into this, I'm a crazy big dude who's super happy to be play, uh, facing this legend of wrestling. It's going to work. Like, you, just having that genuine commitment to whatever it is you're doing, it's going to get over. People are going to understand that you're working your ass off one way or another, whether you think it's a great gimmick or whether you think it's dumb. If you're committing to it, I promise you it will be, be a better experience for everyone than if you were just like, this is a stupid gimmick. I'm not going to do it or I'm only going to half-ass it. People know. People can pick up on energy. Just commit to it. And DDT committed itself to this unique niche brand. And I would say it's been wildly successful for them. Even though it's not the biggest promotion, it might not be something that a casual wrestling fan can name. But it is its own unique style that I don't think you can really find anywhere else. And it works for that reason. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to give my half mark to the wrestling name Super Sasadongo Machine. That is so (laughs) great. And I looked it up. I, I... I have no idea what it means, right? What is a Sasadango? Well, it turns out uh, Super Sasadango Machine is from Niigata, Japan, which is where that match between uh, the, the Pokotan match takes place at his family business in Niigata. Sasadango is a uh, type of uh, uh, like a, a dessert that is traditionally prepared in Niigata, it's uh, rice cakes filled with red bean paste hmm. wrapped in bamboo leaves. I'm told by the internet that it's very, very good. Sounds very good. Uh, but that is uh, what a sasadango is. Uh, you learn something new every day. I'm going to give my uh, one mark to uh, Yuki Ino gyrating. Yes. A big jacked man gyrating has never not gotten. I have to say. And uh, if you watch him now, he's doing a whole lot more than that. I'll Yuki. Just, I'll leave it there. Yuki Eno versus Big E when? I'm, I'm telling you, like, that is a very, like, off the radar dream match. But I guarantee to you, if you got those two guys in a ring, they would have one of the most incredible, like, comedy matches of all time. Like, if they got the opportunity, which they never will. But, like, if it ever did happen, it would be incredible. And I was going to give my two marks to, like, completely committing to the gimmick also. <laughs> the whole point is, like, again, I talked about this extensively. Like, it only works if you completely – this only works if you completely full acid and take it seriously. Like, if the if the characters within it take it seriously, right? Even though it is so completely, like, obviously insane. But you base we already talked about this. You already took that. So I'm going to give my full two marks to – the summer of the cinematic match. Yes, Boy, good. That well done. Time. We saw so much wild ass shit during COVID. I mean, like, COVID was obviously one of the worst things to happen to the wrestling business and society in general. But it freed people from a more traditional way of thinking about what wrestling can be and opened up the creative doors to really do some wild ass shit that now that we have crowds back and um, you know, shit like that, and and we can actually go back to making money off of houses, right? Like we're never going to go back to this, but it was one hell of a fucking time 
when we're watching the like the Boneyard match and the like something like the Firefly Funhouse match, which is genuinely something that I thought was incredible, uh, would never happen today. It only happened because of COVID. So, in a sense, like obviously it was a horrible thing, but it had one slightly good outcome that we got to have this like it it challenged people to sort of rethink. What wrestling what could be. wrestling was and what it can be. When traditionally, especially, like, traditionally, like, the biggest part of wrestling is the crowd and interacting with the crowd and having that for the live audience. What happens when that's stripped away? What does wrestling become when there is no crowd to play to? And it caused just a complete, I mean, like, again, you had to completely rethink what wrestling was. And this is the kind of shit that we got. And... I, I loved it. I thought it was just a fascinating fucking time to watch wrestling. Even when it was bad, too, because like I think bad cinematic matches, I think of the Randy Orton, Bray Wyatt, uh, what was it? Firefly Inferno match. That, uh, yeah. It was bad, but guess what? I still remember the image of Randy Orton lighting Bray Wyatt on fire. That I will never forget. Yes. Uh, and that's just incredible. Uh, but yeah, I, I still think that there's a place for it. I think if you want to get creative every now and again, I think there's going to be a place for it that you could pop it, but you obviously can't do it that much because it's not there for the live crowd. But real talk though. So who's going to sign me for my everyday standard job, just randomly wrestling uh, promotion. Come on. That's genius. That's that. That's hundred percent. Just day to day workers having wrestling matches. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Could happen. Could happen. And I just, one last thing. The person that we have to thank for all this is, of course, Matt fucking Hardy. Matt freaking Hardy, does baby. Does any of this happen without the final deletion, without the without the broken verse? He started this shit. It was all Matt. This is this was all because of Matt fucking Hardy. Matt Hardy is ten years early every time. Two words. Matt freaking hard. <laughs> anyway, so that will wrap up our coverage of DDT Peter Pan 2020 day one. We're not going to do day two. There's not going to be a day two. But if you want to watch it, I do remember the Endo uh, Suns Knock match. There's a really good tag match that had uh, T-Hawk and Lindemann from Strong Hearts in it. Really fucking love those guys. Those guys are really good. Uh, so if you ever want to watch it, yeah, I'm sure you can find it somewhere on the internet. Um, but next week we are going back to our regularly scheduled programming. We're going to be hitting the randomizer and finding out what we're going to be watching next week here on the two and a half marks podcast. So Angelo, as I pull this up, what do you want to see? I'm actually feeling big sicko energy right now. Give me some death of WCW. No, actually. Now this is actually going to be really interesting. I got the... We haven't done a whole lot of 80s stuff on here. We are going back as far back as the randomizer can go. The first one loaded into this, the first ever WWF pay-per-view as it was, WrestleMania 1. Wow. We've got WrestleMania 1 next week from MSG 1985, Mr. T in the main events. Mr. T and Hogan versus Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and Rowdy Roddy Piper. And just a lot of shit on here. We got Andre the Giant. We got The Sheik. We've got 
Volkov. We've got fucking, you know, Bruno San Martino's shitty son. We got all of it. We got the whole goddamn thing. WrestleMania one next. That's gonna be really interesting. So next week on the two and a half marks podcast, WrestleMania one. So my good friend Angelo and Glisa, my name is David Stappen. Thanks everybody for listening.